If you have your Bibles, will you turn to the second chapter of the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2. And I want to read from verse 22 to verse 28, although we'll be looking in other sections, but this will be the foundation and the introduction for God's Word to us this morning. Acts chapter 2, reading at verse 22. This is Peter's sermon after Pentecost, after the disciples were accused of being on a high through drinking. They must be drunk with the wine of the day. And uh, Peter got up. This Peter who denied the Lord three times just a week before now stands with a courageous spirit to speak to the nation when he was afraid of facing them a few days before. Acts chapter 2 then begins Peter's response to those who thought they were mad. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David, 1,500 years before, David wrote, David declared, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he's at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy or gladness with your presence. Later on in the text, Peter said, David was speaking of the resurrection of Jesus. Father, I pray that you will help me now to declare your word in its simplicity as well as it, in its supremacy. Open our hearts, our minds to understand this word and how it applies to us today that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has to do with who we are, what we're doing, and where we're going. Grant your spirit to open our minds, to teach us, so that we will leave here with truths that will transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I became a Christian just at the time the Beatles came on the scene. So I was not too familiar with them. I have since learned more about them because of my reading and so on. And I understand one of the Beatles, Paul McCartney, 
was doing a musical. And in that musical, he called the choir together. And, and he said to them, you will notice that God is mentioned in this musical, but Jesus is not mentioned. And he said, for good reasons. You see, God can be taken as a separate entity. Anybody can put whatever gods they want in the place of God. But we don't want the Christian's view of God to be a part of this play. We want God, but we don't want Jesus. And, and our text this morning refutes that. Everything that Peter is going to divulge for you and for me from this text will show the contrast. Human beings acting, God's reacting. Human being acting, God reacting. And right through this text, she will see that, that it is God who is responding to every act that was was done in that time to our Lord. I want you to note, it, right in the middle of verse 22, Peter gives us a word that we don't use so much anymore, but I'll use it this morning. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested, or some translations have approved, or as I'm using this morning, endorsed. You cannot speak of Jesus and ignore God. You cannot speak of God and ignore Jesus. The text says that it's impossible. First of all, he said Jesus was a man approved by God. He was endorsed by God. So that if I say anything that is contrary to what God is saying about Jesus, I am standing in the face of God and I can say to him, I don't believe it. Imagine, God spoke from heaven and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. And they said, don't care. Doesn't make any difference to me. And, and you will see in a minute that this is, this is like drinking poison. To reject the person of Jesus Christ in the face of God when God has spoken is like drinking poison. It is committing spiritual suicide. For we will see in a few minutes why it is important to believe who Jesus Christ is. Why it is important to respond to what God is saying about his son. So here we, we want to look at how did God approve Jesus? How did God endorse Jesus? What did he do to convince me that I must listen to Jesus Christ? For in him I have what I need to be able to go to God, to communicate with God, and for God to communicate with me. McCartney was rejecting God, and by rejecting God, uh, rejecting Jesus, and by rejecting Jesus, he was rejecting God. That is why again and again you will find the Lord Jesus, he said, don't let your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. Because they are one. He was the expression of the invisible God, and now Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is saying, I want you to see that the end, in God, the end that God had 
in raising his son was for the joy of those who would believe in him. And that's how I want to develop this theme this morning. Three things, Peter said, that God used to show that he had endorsed Jesus. In other words, what Jesus was doing, no other man can do. No other man could do. No other man was ever... Get, get this response from heaven. This is my son in whom I am pleased. That has never been said about any man. Miracles. Jesus Christ the Nazarene, a man attested to you by three things. Miracles. The miracles were not only for the healing of the sick, but the miracles, my friends, was God's signaling to the world that this man is not simply performing miracles as, as, as Isaiah did, as Ezekiel did, as, as any of the, the Old Testament prophets did. They did it by depending upon God. God didn't say to the whole world, listen to this man, listen to this man. But when Jesus was performing his miracles, there was something beyond what was done. So that when the miracle was performed, something happened inside the hearts and the minds of those who saw it. We'll get to that in a minute. So that is miracles. If you haven't read C.S. Lewis's book on miracles, you should. It's not an easy book to read. But, but C.S. Lewis talks about the fact that God intervenes in the naturalness of, of human experience to do things that cannot be explained apart from the fact that God has done it. Miracles. Wonders. How is a miracle different from a wonder? The miracle is that which is done. The wonder is what happens to me because of seeing it. So that in the fourth chapter of the book of Mark, Jesus, out of a sleep, with the disciples just beside themselves. Don't you care that we are perishing? Jesus got up from a sleep, and he said to the storm, Peace, be still. And the sea was calm. And in Mark chapter 4, 31 to 35, you read, And they said to one another, being amazed, Who is this? that even the winds and the waves obey him. No one else could do that. Last night, my wife was, was watching the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I became a Christian just after the Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's. And, and when I became a Christian, every time I read that story, I couldn't get Charlton Heston out of my mind. <laughs> every time I would read, I would see Charlton Heston. And, and I wasn't watching it. I was reading and doing some other stuff. And, and I, heard, I heard certain things that were, were put into the Ten Commandments. I didn't, my wife doesn't know this. It's the first time she's going to hear this. As, as, as I listened to that, as I heard in the background, I said, it doesn't say that in the Bible. I know she knew that. But I, I'm just thinking how I was mesmerized by that. 
I mean, all the, the, the nuances that they brought in, I mean, only Hollywood could do it. But it's not in the Bible, friends. It's not in the Bible. You see, one of the things when a miracle takes place, it causes my very feeling, my soul, to say, what is this? I, I, don't, I don't only see the thing done, but it affects me. It affects my, my feelings. It affects my emotions. It affects my, my, my volition. Everything about me when I see the wonder of it. The third thing, thing that uh, Peter said, miracles, wonders, signs. Signs. When we were living in, in Toronto, Lois and I, and I think it was Christopher, I don't know if it's Christopher or Heather, but we, we went into the, the province of Quebec. Now, if you know Quebec in Canada, you know that they're trying to separate from the rest of Canada. And, and if, you, if you go to Quebec as an American with American plates, they'll speak English to you. But if you go to Quebec with a Canadian plate, and you don't speak French, they will not speak to you. That's the truth. So we crossed, we crossed into Quebec, and, and as we crossed over, I wanted to see this beautiful province, and it is a beautiful province. As we, we kept going, I said to Lois, you know what? I don't know where we are, and I don't understand any word that I am saying. I don't speak French. I said, you know what? We better turn back. And, and this is what I did. I turned back and all the signs that brought me to where I was, I just followed them back into English Canada. I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss. I didn't turn to the right or to the left. I followed those signs because those signs would get me back to where I began. Jesus said, uh, uh, Peter said, that when Jesus did miracles that caused wonders, they were signs. They were signs pointing to the person of Jesus Christ as to who he was. That he was not just a man. He was the God-man because in him God was doing things to say to those who were observing, to those who were experiencing, to those who were seeing, God was saying, listen to him. Listen to him. No one else speaks for me. So that one night when it was dark, Nicodemus left where he was. And the scripture says, he went to Jesus by night and he said to Jesus, no one can do the things you are doing. He had seen it. He had read it. But he had never seen miracles and wonders and signs from any man as he was seeing it in Jesus Christ. And so he said, no man can do the things that you are doing. The miracles, says F.F. Bruce, the miracles of Jesus were not mere wonders. They were mighty works, evidence of the power of God operating in them. They were signs of the kingdom of God, the power of an age to come. So that in Luke chapter 7 and verse 16, listen to what they said. And they were gripped by fear when they saw 
the miracles, the wonders, the sign, the contemporary of Jesus, they were gripped with fear and they were beginning to glorify God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited us. The ultimate purpose of the miracles and the wonders and the signs was that they might realize that the God who created the universe is now walking on its side. He was attested by God. And if God went through so many ways and means so that you can understand how Jesus is, how dare we say, we don't mind God, but don't bring Jesus in. By the way, that is happening today. Right next door to us in, 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 in uh, Washington State, and I have to remember my son is living in, in Washington State now, so I have to be careful how I say And he's here this morning, so I have to be careful how I say it. In some parts of Washington State, in fact, all the, the records of Washington State are now rewritten so that they are gender-free. Taxes will go up to pay for that. But it is not that. And I don't remember the place where they are now saying, we don't mind if you pray. We don't mind a generic God, but don't use the name of Jesus Christ when you pray. That's what they want in Washington State. And my friends, it is impossible to speak of God and ignore Jesus. It is impossible to speak of Jesus and ignore God. And Peter is saying this to his Jewish contemporaries. I want you to know that God endorsed this man. But then he said, there's another reason for believing that God endorsed him. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. Jesus Christ, a man endorsed or attested by God. Look, look, look if you please, as I read again. This man, no other man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross, the mystery of the cross. Before there was time, before there was an earth and an atmosphere, when yet the universe was supposed to come into existence, way back before the foundation of the world, there was a conference in heaven, not with the angels and God, but with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And God the Father had a plan. He knew that you and I would fall one day in, garden, in, in, the, in the garden. And some people say, you know, if God knew we were going to sin, why didn't he stop sin? I can't answer that. But I can tell you that he did something about knowing that we were going to sin, and he took care of it. I like what uh, G.K. Chesterton says. He says, you know, sometimes we bark at the fact there's only one way to get to heaven, but if God had given us ten, we would want eleven. <laughs> what did God do? He endorsed Jesus by assigning to him to carry out the redemptive plan 
to bring salvation to a fallen world. He assigned that to him. Not to Michael. Not to Gabriel. Not to any creature in heaven. See, every other creature in heaven, every other creature is created. Jesus is not created. And God took his uncreated son and conferred in the company of the Godhead. And he said, I am assigning you. And Jesus came to earth and he repeated it again and again. I want to finish the work you have sent me to do. I want to finish the work you have sent me to do. Jesus never lived apart from the consciousness that he was assigned the responsibility to die for your sins and mine. God did that. And the, listen, friends, the day that I understand that, I'll begin to worry. Look at what he says. He was delivered up by the predetermined, God brought everything together so that even the lawless men who assigned Christ to Calvary was a part of the plan that God was going to use to accomplish what he wanted. I can't, I can't understand that. People say, well, if, if, if God predetermined it, then why am I responsible for it? Because you are. <laughs> Because you are. Have you, have, has anyone in this place been assigned to have never sinned in my life? Please listen to this. Please listen to this. This is written by one of my favorite men. I, I traveled all the way to Edinburgh, Scotland, just to, just to spend time in his shadow. Listen to what he writes. The triumph... The triumph of his foes means he used, he used their behavior to defeat them. And here is how, how he did it. They nailed him to the tree, not knowing that by the very act they were bringing the world to his feet. They gave him a cross, not guessing that he would make the cross a throne. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that in that very moment they were lifting up the gates of the universe to let the king of glory come in. They thought to root out the doctrine, not understanding that they were implanting imperishably in the hearts of men the very name they intended to destroy. They thought they had God with his back to the wall, pinned and helpless and defeated. They did not know that it was God himself who had tracked them down. He did not conquer in spite of the dark mystery of evil. He conquered through it. So Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, came and lived with evil, never having been touched by it, and was able on the cross to make his, his own life an atonement for sin, because what men had done to, to Jesus on the cross was what God had planned to use before eternity. He was assigned by God, which shows that God had endorsed him. Thirdly, 
he was arisen by God or aroused by God as I have in the bulletin and God raised him from the dead you see again at every point where they did something to Jesus God reversed it you by lawless men had him hung on a cross you crucify him you put him in a tomb but God but God God raised him it's a very interesting word as, as this is concerned the word for God raised him it means literally to raise him up which suggests that Jesus was, was, was lying down and, and I mentioned in my prayer that when we were in Israel we, we went to the tomb and, and from the outside of the tomb you could look inside the tomb and you could see a, 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 like a bed a rock there it gave you the most unusual feeling thinking that our Lord laid there one day and God caused him to stand up. Man put him down, but God raised him up. That was the greatest expression of God endorsing his son, not leaving him where man put him, but raising him up. Listen to... Romans chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, but I want to read it verbatim for you. Romans 1 and verse 9, listen to what it says. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness. For I, I, I want you to know that through the resurrection, through the resurrection, God declared that Jesus was truly his son. The, the resurrection is the proof, the proof that God is endorsing his son by what he did in life, by what he did in death, and by what he's doing now. That is verse 4. God caused Jesus to see, to be seen as the one that was endorsed by God. I don't know if you have been following the events of Rome over the past two weeks. And it has been, I've been grieved, been grieved by it. Uh, I mean, they don't even know that I'm alive, but that's all right. But my friends, all the things that they are doing that you have watched on television do not need to be repeated. You know, yesterday, uh, Friday in Toronto, uh, they had a, a, a march, 150,000 people marching through the streets of, of West Toronto rehearsing, people bearing crosses, some people putting nails in their hands. My friends, only one, only one person is worthy of that. He's already done it. He's already done it. God not only watched his son with the nails in his hands, God raised him up. We'll see some more of this in a minute. But Peter understood David 1,500 years before the fact. When he talked about those things in Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, he was speaking of the resurrection of Jesus. So now here we have God endorsement of his son. God assignment to his son. God arising his son. If God endorsed him, what is the purpose of it? 
verses 25 to 29, the enjoyment of Jesus, the endorsement and the enjoyment of Jesus. Please follow me. The New Testament in, in, that we're about to look, the Old Testament we're about to look at, we're going to look at what David saw 1,500 years before it happened and how God provided in the resurrection of Christ for your joy and mine. And, you know, when I say joy now, please understand, I'm not talking about ha, ha, ha. When, I'm, when I speak of joy, I am talking about the soul satisfaction and repose in the face of difficulties. Listen, how did God arrange for joy? That's what the text says in verse 28. You have made me to know the way of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. Listen to what verse 24 says. It was impossible for death to keep Jesus in the grave. The divine integrity of God depending upon Jesus being raised up. If Jesus were still in the grave, people could say, God didn't care, God didn't have the power, and God didn't have the ability to do what he promised. But he's risen. And because he's risen, we know now, we know that God can be trusted. That even in the midst of the agony that we go through life, because he saw his son through his agony, he will see you and me through ours. So Peter, he's saying, if we say that God raised Jesus from the dead when he didn't, we're, making, we're believing something that is not true. We're believing a lie. But Christ is risen from the dead. And because he's risen from the dead, my friends, God can be trusted. This is what Peter wants us to understand. God has something deeper for you and me out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went through the process. What's the agony of death? May I suggest to you that for most of us, none of us fear dying. It is death that we fear. Most people can't deal with, the, there seems to be nothing there. There is a fear of the unknown. And, and listen to what Peter said. That it was not possible for the agony, the pain of death, not dying, death, that, that unknown sense of existence what is it like? It's an agonizing thought to, 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 to try to put into our little minds what it's like to say goodbye to our loved ones here and to face the blackness of tomorrow. Difficult thing. Listen to what Peter says. It was impossible for death, that agonizing something about the future, the unknown. It was impossible for that to continue in there so that God made sure that when Jesus died, he died in hope, not in hopelessness. That the agony of death was not, was not going to keep Christ in there. The pains of it, whatever those pains are, Jesus has died to take the, 
the, the, the poison out of it. We must still die. You will die. I will die. But my friends, we do not need to fear death because the agony has been taken out of it. This is why Paul could write in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. That's the first thing that God did to assure our joy. Secondly, how did God assure it for us? And this to me was the most amazing part of my study of this text. Look at verses 26 and 27. 26 and 27. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh will also live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Have you ever asked the question, what was happening on Saturday between Friday and Sunday? You know, think, think of it. We know that Christ was put in the grave on Friday. But Saturday, it seems to be hanging out there in limbo somewhere. What, what, what was happening in the grave? We repeat the Apostles' Creed every month here when we take the communion. He descended into Hades. Some, some translation says he descended into hell. Unfortunately, that's not the right word. Hades is the word, the realm of the dead. That's what happened before the resurrection. People used to go to paradise and people used to go in the place of waiting. What was God doing during that time? Please listen, friends. On Saturday, when Jesus was in the grave, God was preserving his body from decay. For if the body of Christ had decayed, it would mean that he was a sinner. See, only sin destroys the body. And if Jesus had undergone corruption in the grave, like, like my mother did when she died, and like your loved ones who die. <laughs> Do you remember when, when Martha stood in front of the grave of Lazarus four days after he was dead? Martha said to Jesus, by now he stinketh. That's what happened, especially in that part of the world. But Jesus was in the tomb, wrapped in clothing, and he was not decaying. Because God was assuring us that the man who went into the grave will be the man who comes out of the grave. Not, not another person, not a figment of our imagination as some want us to believe. Psalm 69 says, my flesh also will dwell securely because God is preserving it. You and I will decay in the grave, friends, and God will give us a new, a new body. But because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, because he did not go through that, and therefore he's going to give us a body like Christ. That's what we will have. We can't go to heaven with this one. God is going to take care of that. So what was he doing? Keeping Christ from decay meant, my friends, that Jesus was indeed the Son of God 
endorsed by God for the redemption of the human race because by, by, by not allowing him to see corruption, God was telling us, even on Saturday, I am endorsing Christ as my answer for the human plague. He was assuring it. Saturday was no mistake. God was actively working to assure your joy and mine. Now, here's the assigning of joy. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're told to look to Jesus. The book of Hebrews was written when people were going through difficulty with their faith and some of them were giving up. And the writer to the Hebrews wrote to them and said, when you face the difficulties of life, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Listen now. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? The joy that was ahead of him, meaning he was going into the grave. And if he is going to endure the grave for the joy that was ahead of him, he believed in his own resurrection. And his own resurrection provided for us the joy of satisfaction to know that in this life we have one who has gone through the most ignominious thing, the cross. And if we follow him, we too will know his joy. We too will know it. Jesus was in the place that, that was always his. When he came to earth, he gave it up. The apex of joy, the acme of joy is in the presence of God. And Jesus was saying, you will make me to know the joy again which I had with you before the world was. So in John 17, which was just before the crucifixion, Jesus is praying. And this is what he prays in John 17, verse 24. Father, I would that those whom you have given me, those who will believe in me, that they will be with me where I will be going so that they will see how you love me. Because if they see how your presence satisfies me, they will know what joy awaits them. Just as Jesus, just as Jesus looked at the cross and he said, there is a beyond the cross. For him, for him, my friends, it is that he sat down at the right hand of God. That's where he belonged because that's where he always was. But for you and for me, it is faith now that knows the joy. If you look in Matthew, in, in Luke 24, 52, the disciples are walking out to see the ascension of Jesus. And the scripture says, they return to Jerusalem with joy. With joy. Imagine. They didn't know what awaited them. But the joy of the resurrection was theirs because they were going to enjoy. Jesus was going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit was going to make the presence of God real for you just as he did for me while I was on earth. The time will come when faith will give way to sight and you will know joy as you have never known it. It is in the presence of God. That's where joy is. We can enjoy it now 
by faith. I want you to, if you mark your Bibles, in 1 Peter 1.8, let me read that. 1 Peter 1.8. L- listen to what he writes. Just incredible. And remember, Peter was writing to suffering Christians who were scattered all over the place and were being burned as torches for Nero. And 1 Peter 1.8, Peter's telling them how to respond to the difficulties. 1 Peter 1.8. Listen to how he writes this. So the proof of your faith, verse 7, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire. I, I told the, the, the group this morning at our sunrise service that the doubts deal with the reality of our faith. Unbelief deals with the rejection of our faith. And here, Peter said, here's the proof of your faith. Now, here's the proof that you have real faith. Because when the trials come, listen to what happens. Even though you're tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise, the joy, and the glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ when he comes again. Now, here it is. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, and by believing, you greatly rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Even though I can't see him with my naked eyes, yet the soul says something that mere eyes cannot see. And it comes because Jesus is raised from the dead. Joy belongs to you and to me. It is the joy for the here and the now. But my friends... That's not the end of it. It is the joy that comes after the grave. Just as it came for Jesus after the grave, the ultimate joy for you and for me will come after the grave. God does not settle all the accounts here and now. Some will be settled at the resurrection. Future joys belong to you and to me. I wasn't going to end the service this way, but I'll end it this way. It was an old gentleman. I have a book with stories that are over, well, 200 years old, and I treasure that in my library at home. It was an old gentleman that was sick, and he was about to die, and for some reason he was given an extension of life. One day he was walking down the road and someone said to him, Are you still here? I thought that you were in the land of the living. And listen to his response. No, I am on my way there. I am on my way there. Dear friends, please listen. Don't get so attached to the now that you think there is no future because the Bible says differently Jesus who for the joy that was set before him God has inexpressible joys for us we taste a little bit here but then my friends we will know the full force of the joy R.W. Dale old English preacher sat down at his desk one day to work on his resurrection message and if you know anything about R.W. Dale he was 
I was a little bit below him when it comes to emotions. And R.W. Dale sat at his desk and he read those words, he's not here. He's risen. He's risen indeed. And writing in one of his texts, he said, as I sat there contemplating the fact that Christ is risen, the tears came streaming down my face. Jesus is risen. Jesus is really risen. And because he is risen, you will make me to know joy with which nothing on earth can compare. And this is only a foretaste of joy divine. Let's pray. Christ is risen and he is living indeed. Oh God, take this word and apply it where it needs to be applied. But may the end result be our joy because of Christ's life. He wants us to be where he is so that we might enjoy the joys of eternity that can never be fully understood or enjoyed on earth. Give us that sense, Lord, of living in the light of what is yet to come because Christ is at the right hand of God, risen, risen indeed.